0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of Global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world.
1: My name is Yuri, and I've been listening to KBS World Radio's Japanese program since 2020. I've not been able to visit Korea for three years now due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and KBS World Radio has been a bridge between me and Korea during that time. What I like the most about it is that you can get the latest
2: information that's not even available on the Internet yet. I also enjoy the YouTube live streams that started last year as I can communicate with the host in real time.
1: Congratulations on the evolution from shortwave radio all the way to YouTube. Happy 70th birthday and I'll look forward to more fun shows down the road.
0: 70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are.
3: Hello, it's Monday, the 6th of March, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. South Korea has formally announced its plans to compensate Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor through a local foundation. Tokyo has welcomed the plan, but the victims continue to object. We'll have more in News Briefing shortly. Amid growing debate over South Korea's nuclear armament, a U.S. security expert has proposed the formation of a nuclear planning group between South Korea and the U.S. He joins us later for our In Depth today. And coming up for Monday sports roundup, we look at South Korea's preparations ahead of the World Baseball Classic this week. Let's begin. Korea 24.
4: Today, I will announce the
1: government's office in the national office. The government has 1965,
3: South Korea announced a plan on Monday to compensate the Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor, a long-standing issue that has driven a wedge between Seoul and Tokyo, particularly in recent years. Seoul has proposed that a Korean foundation will pay the victims. However, the defendants Japanese corporations that forced Koreans to work in their factories will not have to contribute to the solution. Let's listen to what Foreign Minister Pak Jin had to say during the announcement.
4: The Foundation for Victims of Force Mobilization by Imperial Japan under the Interior Ministry will provide compensation and interest on the delayed payment to the plaintiffs of the final rulings of the three 2018 Supreme Court cases in order to pay reparations for the victims and their families.
2: The same foundation
4: will cover the compensation and interest for the plaintiffs of pending cases if the court rules in their
2: favor.
1: The
3: plan has been welcomed by Japan, but a group representing the victims have denounced it. To take a closer look at this development for the first part of our news briefing today, we have joining us on the line now the Asia editor for The Washington Times, Andrew Salmon. Mr Salmon, thank you for your time today.
5: That's okay.
3: So Seoul-Turkey relations reached a new rock bottom in 2018 after rulings by the Korean Supreme Court on Japan's wartime forced labor. Instead of enforcing the Supreme Court's decision that ordered Japanese companies to pay reparations to the victims, instead the Yun Sang-yeol administration announced today, Monday, that a government-led fund will compensate the victims. Can you brief us about the South Korean Foreign Ministry's announcement today?
6: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that the critical context that your readers need to know is this is not simply, um, you know, Korean companies paying for the sins of Japanese companies. Um, in 1965, when Seoul and Tokyo normalized their diplomatic relations, uh, Japan paid about $800 million, uh, in loans, grants, and soft loans, loans, grants, and aid. Um, as de facto compensation, and we later learn that, of course, the, uh, the payments of forced labors have been very, very painstakingly negotiated. Um, the problem uh, came when Seoul, back in 1965, used this money not to pay the laborers, but to fund economic development. So as part of that economic development, a number of Korean companies benefited. So it's these companies which are now going to compensate
3: the, uh, the forced labourers. Right. We should uh, explain as well, though, uh, that uh, it's not been Confirmed officially that these companies will pay, but the government is expected to seek donations from these Korean companies. That includes uh, steelmaker POSCO. Uh, they will pay compensation through a whole back-to-public foundation to uh, the 15 Korean victims who won uh, legal battles against uh, two Japanese firms originally in that Supreme Court ruling. Uh, as I mentioned, the 2018 court rulings they led to diplomatic friction with Korea. With uh, Tokyo imposing export curbs on tech materials to Korea in apparent retaliatory response, as well as delisting South Korea from its uh, so-called trade whitelist. South Korea also took its own retaliatory measures, including uh, threatening to pull out of a military information sharing pact called GSOMIA. Uh, but this announcement today is uh, looking to turn things around. Mr Simon, how has Japan responded to uh, South Korea's announcement?
6: Well, this has been welcomed by none other than uh, Prime Minister Kishida, who, who spoke about it today in a cabinet, cabinet meeting. Uh, I'm looking at Japanese media today. It is, it is the top story. It's very well, uh, well received there, I think. And this has obviously been a process that has been you know very, very carefully negotiated between Seoul and Tokyo. Uh, as you know, the relations between the two capitals plunged you know, uh, in the wake of this arguably their worst ever relations post-war. Uh, but the two prime ministers at the time, that's the late Shinzo Abe and uh, South Korea's Moon jae now they've both left, left office. Um, you know, this has sort of cleared the way for this deal to go forward. And Yun-suk-yong did uh, make it a campaign promise uh, during his election to to resolve this issue and improve relations. To me, though, there's still a couple of potential Stumbling blocks, it's very, very unclear to me whether a political decision, which is what we're talking about, overcomes Supreme Court rulings. I'm very, very far from clear Mm. um, what the mechanism for that to happen is, uh, and that's not really being talked about today. And as you said earlier in the report, uh, the victims, or at least some of the victims and civic groups, uh, are resisting this very, very strongly, as is, of course, the opposition. Um, So this looks like a done deal on the political level, but whether it's a done deal in in legal terms, whether it's a done deal in terms of opposition politics in the House, and of course, whether it's a done deal in terms of street politics, um, we'll have to see in the days to come.
3: Right. Critics have argued that Seoul's proposal is only a half solution without the full participation of Japan. It also does not compel Tokyo for an apology. Uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin was asked about this criticism and this is what he had to say today. This is a broad-minded decision by the South Korean
4: government to find a breakthrough to the strained South Korea-Japan relations, and we hope Japan responds to the Japanese government's comprehensive apology and the voluntary participation of Japanese corporations. Receiving a new apology from Japan for its wartime wrongdoings is an everything.
3: Park also said that it's important that the Japanese government honors the spirit of reflection and apologies included in the Kim Dae-jung Keizo Obuchi declaration issued in 1998. So Mr. Samuel, what can we expect now to happen? How do you think it will affect Seoul-Tokyo relations going forward?
6: I suspect a lot has been said behind the scenes prior to to this deal being announced today. Uh, Both parties have announced the renunciation of their economic measures against each other. Uh, Japanese media are reporting, I just spoke to a Japanese professor, who thinks that the Japanese uh, will actually voluntarily uh, give some contribution to this fund that's being set up. Um, And, um, you know, Japanese politicians have said that, that they remain... Um, bound by the Murayama statement or Uchi statement of Japanese war guilt and colonial guilt in the past. So, again, I think on the political level, this issue is de facto solved. The question is whether on the street level uh, in Korea, whether it's been solved or not. And, And that remains to be seen.
3: President Yoon Sang yeol made a statement saying that the plan is needed to move toward a future-orientated relationship with Japan and that it was necessary to enter a new era of Seoul-Tokyo relations. Uh, Meanwhile, the U.S. President Joe Biden said it is a groundbreaking new chapter of cooperation and partnership in an earlier statement as well. But as you said, with uh, the victims protesting the plan and public sentiment also expected to be uh, largely negative, there is still set to be pressure on the UN administration. We've been speaking to Andrew Simon, the Asia editor at The Washington Times. Thank you for briefing us on the situation today. Thank you. Let's continue on now to our other headlines. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, KBS World Radio News editor, Daniel Che. Daniel, hello. Hello there, Jungle. The government also announced today plans to adjust the current maximum 52-hour work week as part of a massive restructuring of the current labour system. Uh, Revamping the 52-hour work week law introduced in 2018 during the previous administration has been a key task for the Yoon Sung-yeol government. So can you tell us more about the proposed changes?
2: Well, on Monday, the Employment and Labor Ministry and five other related ministries held an emergency ministerial level meeting, and they confirmed the set of measures to retool work-related institutions and systems. The government seeks to increase the flexibility of the 52-hour workweek system to permit working hours to be calculated, not just by the basic hours per week unit, but at monthly, quarterly, biannual or annual intervals as agreed upon by Labor and Management. The change in units will allow employees to manage their hours flexibly, enabling them to work up to 69 hours weekly and reduce their hours at other times. While regulations for rest hours and leave will also be modified to better accommodate their needs. The government is first issuing an advance notice of related legislation and will submit a bill to parliament in June or July. South
3: Korea's two major umbrella labour organisations responded by criticising the government's plan to overhaul the country's workweek system, saying that the measures will
2: force labourers to work long hours. Well, they did express concerns about the changes to come. The Korean Confederation of Trade Unions, or KCTU, one of the two umbrella labor unions said the proposed revision will allow employees to work from 9 a.m. to midnight. The KCTU criticized the plan for lacking measures for workers' health and rest while it only benefit employers. The Federation of Korean Trade Unions said the plan will allow laborers to work 64 hours per week for four consecutive
3: months. Let's turn to some other headlines. Inflation dipped below 5% for the first
2: time in 10 months in February. Can you provide us with a breakdown of the numbers? Well, according to Statistics Korea on Monday, consumer price index stood at 110.38 last month, up 4.8% on year. The figures came after the index increased 5.2% in January, the first on-month acceleration in three months. They represent the first below 5% on-year growth since growing 4.8% last April. Before January, inflation had Gradually slowed since peaking at 6.3% last July. It remained in the 5% range for the ninth consecutive month since last May. The prices of electricity, gas, and water jumped 28.4% on year in February. That's the highest since 2010, when the nation started compiling related data. The prices of industrial goods rose 5%. Prices of agricultural, livestock, and fisheries products gained 1.1% on-year as well core inflation which excludes volatile food and oil prices went up 4.8% meanwhile Meanwhile understand that was data
3: showing that the cost of dining out at restaurants jumped significantly Amid the persistent inflation
2: these are the numbers that hit the average joe's hard uh, according to the Korea consumer agency on Monday the prices of eight representative menu items at local restaurants and cafeterias in Seoul jumped an average of ten point eight percent in January from a year earlier, jjajangmyeon rose 13.9% to 6,569 one, registering the fastest growth. Bibimbap advanced 8.8% to 10,001 won. Nengmyeon increased 9% to 10,692 one. Other items that rose over 10% include pork belly, kimbap and kalguksu.
3: In other news, Seoul's National Security Advisor is set to hold intensive talks with American officials to address concerns that Washington's new subsidy program for the semiconductor industry imposes excessive demands on
2: participating foreign firms. Can you tell us more? Well, Kim sung Un embarked on a five-day trip to the U.S. to discuss several pending issues. His visit is aimed at finalizing discussions regarding a possible Seoul-Washington summit. At the airport, he told reporters since South Korea and the U.S. can remain allies while having different priorities. He will seek frank discussions on the matter, acknowledging that Seoul's understanding of the U.S. CHIPS Act may differ from that within the U.S. The advisor vowed to carefully review the compatibility of the law, keeping in mind the interests of the Korean chip industry and the economy. Under the 52 billion U.S. dollar semiconductor manufacturing and research program, foreign firms that secure funds will reportedly be required to share profits, exceeding initial projections with Washington while providing some access to related facilities.
3: And finally, a former Seoul branch chief of Lone Star accused of illegalities during the U.S. equity fund's acquisition of a local bank in 2003 was arrested in the U.S., this is happening 17 years after the South Korean government sought his extradition. So,
2: what do we know? The Justice Ministry said on Sunday, Korean-American Stephen Lee, Korean name is Lee Jung-hwan, was arrested in New Jersey last Thursday with the cooperation of local authorities. He had a loan star's Seoul office between 1998 and 2005. He is alleged to have played an important role in the firm's purchase of Korea Exchange Bank or KAP at a below market price before reaping hefty profit from a 2012 sale to Hana Financial Group. Prosecutors suspect Yi was involved in the manipulation of financial records while collaborating with South Korean government officials and influential financial figures in the acquisition and sale of KEP. The prosecution launched an investigation into E in 2006, but he fled this to the States the previous year, prompting the agency to request his extradition. He also faces separate charges of embezzlement and tax evasion. That's all for our news briefing today. Daniel, thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me.
3: The controversial debate over South Korea's nuclear armament has gained a momentum in recent months as North Korea continues its nuclear and missile threats unabated. Amid this situation, a U.S. security expert has proposed the formation of a nuclear planning group to measure it to the existing NATO entity between South Korea and the United States to enhance the U.S. extended deterrence. That was in a report for the Heritage Foundation, a U.S. think tank, and it also suggested that the bilateral NPG should subsequently include Australia and Japan to deal with threats in the Indo-Pacific region. To talk more about this idea, we have joining us on the line now the author of that report, Bruce Klinger, Senior Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Mr Klinger, hello and welcome back to the show. Well, thank you for having me. So first off, what's your assessment of the current tensions on the Korean Peninsula? How would you describe the current situation?
5: Well, the level of tensions is always a bit of a relative term. Even as North Korean uh, nuclear and missile and conventional uh, threats rise, uh, we see that the level of tensions may be low if North Korea hasn't done a recent provocation. But even as the security uh, threat continues, we may see, as it now, things are less tense just because they haven't done a a violation of U.N. resolutions or a a provocative military actions. But Uh, of course, the threat continues
3: to grow. Mm. Uh, Amid the recent tensions, there has been this upsurge in debate over South Korea's nuclear armament. Uh, What you pointed out in your report is that one of the catalysts for all this talk is growing doubts over the strength and commitment of the U.S. extended deterrence guarantee. So can you explain a bit more what's causing these doubts, do you think? I think there are a number of factors
5: uh, one is the the North Korean threat continues to grow, and there's decreasing uh, and that any kind of negotiations would would reduce that threat. Uh, the second factor is uh, questioning about the the viability of the U.S. extended deterrence. So now that North Korea can target the United States with nuclear weapons, you know, would the U.S. come to South Korea's aid, sort of the would we risk Seattle for Seoul uh, uh, issue? Mm. Uh, third is the concern about uh, the effect of the 2024 U.S. Pres- presidential elections. If, if President Trump or a, a similar isolationist candidate is elected, would we abandon the alliances as uh President Trump threatened to do? And and I'd say fourth and finally would be sort of a, a sense of uh South Korean national pride or or wounded pride in the sense of uh they would advocates for a South Korean nuclear program would say, well, the US accepted the United Kingdom and France as a nuclear weapons state, why not accept South Korea? So I think it's a perhaps a perfect storm of different factors as to pushing uh, advocacy for the South Korean nuclear program.
3: Right. So a variety of factors. Uh, Where does the Biden administration stand on the U.S. commitment to defend South Korea, both uh, publicly and behind the scenes? Is there any reason for Korea to doubt the U.S. commitment?
5: Well, the U.S. view would be that there there should not be any a reason for doubt. Uh, President Biden, like his predecessors, perhaps except for President Trump, uh, would point to we have a mutual defense treaty, uh, a commitment of uh, our nation to defend South Korea, that we have years or decades of presidential and senior level statements committing to the defense of South Korea and the extended deterrence guarantee we've had. you know, U.S. nuclear capable forces rotating through the the Korean area. Uh, Twenty eight thousand five hundred of our sons and daughters in uniform deployed in harm's way, and also the, we could point to the thirty six thousand names on the memorial wall of the Korean War Memorial as a tangible sign of our commitment to defend South Korea. But given the the South Korean concerns of uh, the U.S., I think is trying to be forward leaning and. Uh, strengthening the the extended deterrence guarantee and and trying to increase our efforts at reassuring
3: our ally that we will be there for them in a a crisis. Okay, even despite uh, those uh, public assurances uh, and uh, behind the scenes as well by the Biden administration, uh, the debate over South Korea's nuclear armament rages on. What would happen if South Korea were to develop its own nuclear weapons? What consequences uh, could there be?
5: There are a number of consequences. Uh, first of all, South Korea has no fissile material of its own. It, it relies on a, the Nuclear Suppliers Group an International Consortium for all of its fissile material, uh, including for its, its civilian nuclear reactors. And under the Nuclear Suppliers Group rules, uh, if South Korea was either to violate the nonproliferation treaty or or withdraw from it, uh, they would automatically have to cut off the fissile material uh, supply, which would, would be the fissile material for South Korea's civilian reactors, which account for about 30-some percent of South Korea's electricity production, which clearly would have a major impact on the South Korean economy. Uh, also, if South Korea were to test a nuclear weapon, which it would have to do, not only uh, to be assured of its nuclear weapons design, but also to really be a uh, viable deterrent to North Korea, then under what's called the Glenn Amendment, the U.S. would have to cut off uh, economic, nuclear, and military assistance to South Korea, including weapons sales or uh, military assistance. Uh, And also the international community may well see South Korea as a, as a pariah. Whether the countries would in, impose additional sanctions or not, uh, we don't know, but clearly it would impact South Korea's uh, desire to be seen as a a larger uh, you know, uh, player on the international uh, stage. so it, it would have a number of 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 factors, I think on the the South Korean economy as well as its international status.
3: And it would significantly disrupt the relationship with the U.S., right? So much so that perhaps even uh, the withdrawal of U.S. troops in South Korea, do you think?
5: That we don't know. Uh, certainly in the past, when South Korea had a covert nuclear program that was seen as an alliance buster, the U.S. Uh, really said that if South Korea continued that program in the past, it, it would end the, the alliance. Uh, South Korea is a critically important ally to the United States. Whether we would sever the alliance or not is, is unknown, but it clearly would have a, a major strain on on the alliance. And what it may cause is amongst uh, members of Congress or the or the American public might be a sense of, well, if, if South Korea develops nuclear weapons, then they can defend themselves. And therefore, why do we have forces overseas de- defending them or, Uh, If South Korea does that, it's showing that they don't trust our guarantee and
3: therefore there may be less support for maintaining the alliance. Another idea that has been suggested is the redeployment of U.S. tactical nuclear weapons to South Korean soil. They were previously removed in the 1990s. Uh, What's your stance on that idea? Could that enhance deterrence? I don't think so. It, it really uh, makes no military sense. Uh,
5: the U.S. tactical nuclear weapons that were were removed, uh, the the ground uh, based nuclear weapons no longer exist, and the the others that you know that are based on ships or submarines or airplanes are, are very hard to find and target by North Korea, and to take them off of those platforms and put them into a bunker in South Korea. Uh, you know, would be to actually degrade deterrence because you're you're taking them off of the platforms or, or removing them from what would be their platforms to a very easily, uh, you know, findable and easily targetable uh, bunker in South Korea by North Korea. It, it could increase the the potential for a North Korean preemptive attack. You know, in a way, it's like. You know, the policemen walking around in the bad neighborhood, taking all the bullets from their pistols and putting them back at headquarters, uh, you've you've lowered their capability to respond to bad actors' actions. Um, And then during a crisis when some might say, well, things are getting bad, let's put the nuclear weapons back on their platforms, some might say, well, you can't do that because that would be escalatory. So really – There's no military advantage to uh, putting the nuclear weapons in South Korea rather than keeping them with their uh, hard-to-find launchers.
3: Okay, let's talk more about uh, that report uh, that you authored as well in order to strengthen U.S. extended deterrence. You proposed the creation of a nuclear planning group between South Korea and the U.S., equivalent to a similar group under the uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or NATO, of course, uh, that would allow for input from Seoul on the Allies' nuclear policy. Could you elaborate more on this idea?
5: Well, again, the Americans would say, well, what more can we do to reassure you? Why would you trust our our commitment? Um, But clearly, for the the reasons I laid out earlier, is, is South Korea is increasingly concerned or nervous uh so I do think the US has to do more than we have in the past our nuclear doctrine our nuclear strategy uh and even though there are a number of existing bilateral groups uh I think to to show South Korea our commitment we do need to create a new group uh that you know not only has as the the nomenclature but also uh, the mission of that which is similar to what exists in NATO to show we have a similar commitment to South Korea as, as to NATO. So, uh, you know, I think we, we already are being more forthcoming in behind-the-scenes discussions with South Korea. They just completed a uh, tabletop exercises, w- which included scenarios in which North Korea went nuclear. And my discussions with U.S. Uh, government officials indicated that South Korea did seem... Uh, pleased or, or uh, you know, happy with the the tabletop exercise, along with the uh, what I would say is the renewed U.S. effort to reassure mm. our South Korean allies. So, I, I think a new group would make South Korea feel that we are treating them as strongly as we are our NATO allies.
3: Right, and you also suggested uh, bringing in Australia and Japan to the group as well to stress. Uh, cooperative approach between the U.S. and its partners and more comprehensively address address threats in the uh, Indo-Pacific region. Uh, why uh, were you suggesting Australia and Japan specifically to be brought in as well?
5: Well, both Japan and Australia are other critically important allies to the United States in addressing common security threats and challenges in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, certainly, Australia would be a sending state uh, for any kind of a Korean contingency uh, and also Japan although not a sending state under the, the United Nations command uh, is also critically important for the defense of Korea during a, any kind of Korean crisis so uh, those allies I think also would like greater transparency on how the United States might use its nuclear weapons in not only Korean contingencies but other contingencies in the Indo-Pacific region so uh, you know consistent with the the u s uh, nuclear uh, doctrine that, that has been recently updated, you know we, we want to involve our allies to a greater degree. So, but I, I think it's important to first have the, the the group with South Korea because we have a much more integrated command structure with South Korea than our other allies. Uh, and also the concern in South Korea seems to be much more vocal than in other nations. So I think we should start with South Korea and then expand it to the other important allies in the region. Uh,
3: Is there not a risk that this sort of action would be seen as escalatory? North Korea would likely not stand for something like this. And they already expressed anger when the NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg visited Seoul last month, saying that he would be calling for Uh, the creation of an Asian version of NATO. Uh, North Korea were very uh, adamant about uh, protesting this. How would North Korea respond to a South Korea U.S. nuclear planning group, do you think?
5: Well, uh, uh, North Korea doesn't like when the U.S. or South Korea takes any steps to improve their defenses against the provocative North Korean actions. Uh, But to refrain from improving our deterrence and defense capabilities, is sort of like saying, well, perhaps the police shouldn't uh, improve their capabilities against criminals because the criminals wouldn't like that. I mean, that's not how you run a security policy or a foreign policy. You know, North Korea is the one in violation of 11 U.N. resolutions, which require it to abandon its weapons of mass destruction. North Korea is the one that has committed repeated acts of war or terror, uh or provocative actions against south korea japan the united states so you know be, given north korea's increasing threat and its you know very provocative language uh and actions against south korea and it and the united states and japan you know, we we need to make sure we are suitably defended ag- against that growing north korean threat and this is i think one way to not only deter North Korea, but to reassure our allies that the US will be there during a potential crisis.
3: Hmm. Well, the creation of such a group uh, would be certainly interesting, certainly change a lot of things around here and would take a while, though. In the meantime, how do you think the situation on the Korean Peninsula will pan out this year amid uh, North Korea's uh, continuing nuclear threats?
5: I think, unfortunately, it's going to be more of the same, uh, particularly what we saw last year. North Korea will likely continue to reject all forms of, of diplomacy, despite repeated U.S., South Korean, and Japanese requests for dialogue, let alone negotiations. Uh, North Korea will continue to expand and refine its nuclear and missile arsenal uh, and I think North Korea will continue to engage in presume, uh, probably a high level of missile launches and perhaps sort of the long-awaited seventh nuclear test. Uh, you know, Given the change of administration in both Washington and, and South Korea, we've resumed military exercises and rotational deployment of strategic assets that, that President Trump had curtailed in 2018. And and North Korea doesn't like that we're improving our defenses, so they will likely use that as an excuse to engage in the provocative behavior that we saw last year.
3: Well, we'll have to leave it there. We'll be speaking to uh, Bruce Kleiner from the Heritage Foundation. Thank you once again for your time today.
5: Well, thank you again for having me.
0: Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index rose 30.55 points, or 1.26% on Monday, to close the day at 2,462.62. The Tekebi KOSDAQ also rose, gaining 14.09 points, or 1.76%, to close at 816.51. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 4.71 against the U.S. dollar, Closing the day at 1296.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr.
3: It's time now for Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And for that, we have Walter Lee with us in the studio. Walter, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, Changha. it's always good to be here. Okay, so we dive straight into our stories today. Walter, what do you have for us first? Okay, so starting today, infants under the
1: age of six months in South Korea will be provided with the rotavirus vaccine free of charge. Now, the move is a part of the National Rotavirus Vaccination Campaign that was announced by the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency, or KDCA, yesterday. Now, rotavirus is a contagious virus that causes severe diarrhea and vomiting in infants and young children. Now, it can be phased for infants with weak immune systems. Postpartum care centres and daycare centres often see cases of this virus. Yes,
3: while deaths are very rare, it has proven to be significantly more preventable with vaccinations, so it is highly recommended. Uh, Can you tell us more in detail about the vaccine programme here in Korea now?
1: Okay, so under the program, infants should receive two to three shots by the age of six months. Now, the shots will be available at medical facilities and community health centers nationwide, regardless of the infant's residence. Two kinds of vaccines are available, but mix and match vaccines are not permitted. You said the vaccine will now be free. How much were the parents charged before? Yeah, quite a lot, actually around 100,001 or nearly 78 US dollars per shot. Due to its high price, many parents hesitated about getting the vaccination for their children and sought out hospitals that provide the vaccine at a cheaper price now the kdca expressed hope that the national rotavirus vaccination campaign will help lessen the financial
3: burden on parents and reduce rotavirus infection numbers indeed so another helping hand for new parents and hopefully that will increase the vaccination numbers as well Okay, let's uh, move on to our second story. What do you have for us? Yeah, so a man who has suspected of starting a fire
1: at a fish market in Incheon Metropolitan City on Saturday has admitted to the crime after being grilled by police. Now, the Incheon Chungbu police station said Sunday that it is planning to request an arrest warrant for the suspect in his 40s, who was detained earlier in the day on charges of committing arson on an Uninhabited structure. Now, the suspect is accused of starting a fire at three stores in Hyundai Market in the city's Dong District, and for other sites nearby at around 11:40 p.m. on Saturday. Okay, first, was anyone hurt in the fire? Thankfully, no casualties were reported, but 55 out of 212 stores in the market were destroyed. A total of 154 firefighters and 52 fire trucks were mobilized to put out the blaze which was completely extinguished around 2.23am on Sunday. That's a little
3: less than 3 hours after the first fire started. So no one was hurt, but dozens of merchants had their livelihoods destroyed. Yes. It was a devastating blaze. Uh, how were the police able to pinpoint this man for the arson?
1: Okay, so three CCTV footage that showed flames just uh, rising just two minutes after a staggering man, presumed to be the suspect, entered the market. Now, police found the suspect in an intoxicated state at his home at 9.50am Sunday and detained him for questioning. The man initially had denied the arson allegations, claiming that he had no memory of starting the fire or how he returned home. However, after police grilled him for hours based on this surveillance footage, the suspect came clean, blaming
3: alcohol for his wrongdoing. Yes, a terrible incident. Hopefully the store owners will be able to get back on their feet yes. somehow soon. Let's continue on to our final story. What else has been trending? Yes, yeah, so some lighter news now. Apple TV's Korean-language drama Pachinko
1: has won the award for Best Ensemble Cast in a new scripted series at the American Film Independent Spirit Awards. Now, the series, which is a drama adaptation of Lee Min-jin's 2017 eponymous novel that traced the lives of a Korean immigrant family in Japan, was named the winner last Saturday. Now, Actor No Sang-hyun accepted the award at the ceremony held in Santa Monica on behalf of the cast, which is filming the next season of the show in Toronto, Canada. The rest of the cast expressed gratitude in a video message screened at the ceremony with actor Lee min thanking fans while expressing hope
3: that they will also enjoy season two. Yes, the stars of the show are undoubtedly the Oscar-winning actress Yun Yeo-jung and Kim min who plays the younger version of Yun's character. But Lee min has also been highly praised for his performance as the charismatic Hansu in the show, right? Uh, portraying the character's complex mind caught between love and his ambitions. Yeah, that's correct. So the 35-year-old actor won Best Drum- a Drama Actor and Breakthrough
1: Performer of the Year at the 2022 Gold Derby Awards for his performance in that series. So in season two of Patinko, he expected to strike a chord with viewers
3: around the world. I understand that it's not the first time that South Korean actors have been honoured at the Film Independent Spirit Awards. Yeah, you're right there. So actor E. Jae won the Best Male
1: Performance in a New Scripted Series award for his role in none other than Squid Game last year in 2021. And actress Yun Yojong won Best Supporting Female for her role in Minari. Now hosted by the non-profit organization Film Independent, the award show the awards show is dedicated to independent filmmakers. Now in 2020, the organization added new categories to honor the best in television productions and performances. Yes,
3: congratulations to the cast and crew of Pachenko. That's all for Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories and we'll see you next time. See you next time. We continue on now to Monday Sports Roundup, our weekly update on the sport headlines from Korea. And with us in the studio today to bring us the updates is a good friend of the show, sports reporter Steve Price. Steve, hello, it's good to see you. Yeah, great to be back on. Yes, thank you for coming in today. Filling in for our regular contributor, Jiho, who is in Tokyo currently for the World Baseball Classic, of course, and that is where we start this week. The WBC kicks off on Wednesday, and South Korea will play their first match on Thursday taking on australia so steve it's finally here can you set up for us
7: yeah i mean in terms of national team tournaments this is one of the big events for the year i mean not just for baseball fans but for general fans of korean sports so i think there'll be a lot of interest in it Mm. south korea will be hoping to win their first ever wbc Uh, they came second in 2009 and third in 2006 but have never lifted the the golden trophy and the finals and semifinals are actually going to take place in Miami, but in order to get there, Korea will first have to qualify from Group uh, Pool B, mm. and then they'll have to win a quarterfinal, and all of those games are going to take place in Tokyo, um, where Korea are, well, Korea are in Japan right now, and Korea are going to be facing hosts Japan this Friday, so uh, there's a lot of interest in that match. You know, Han il Chan Korea against Japan. Everybody's kind of excited, hoping Korea can win that. Sure. Uh, actually, it's the opener against Australia uh, on Thursday that you just mentioned which could be the key game though for South Korea to qualify uh, and reach the quarter finals
3: Right that's because the top two qualify from the group and Australia are the third highest ranked team in their group after Japan and Korea so Korea needs to start strongly with their win to set them up for the rest of the uh, pool matchups so what's uh, Korea's preparation been like ahead of these uh, must-win games?
7: Well, they've got a, a couple of um, preparation matches this week, a few warm-up matches. They actually had one today against the Oryx Buffalos. Um, they didn't get off to a great, great start there. They lost that one by 4-2. Uh, to two. Mm. And they're going to play the Hanshin Tigers tomorrow. Uh, so both of those games are actually happening in Osaka, not Tokyo. Um, Yeah, it's been a bit of a bad start, it seems. Uh, They actually had a training camp in Arizona, and that also saw some disruption. Uh, The plane carrying the players uh, got grounded in Tucson, and so (laughs) they missed their connecting flight to Korea, so everything's a bit in the air there, or not in the air, as it seems. (laughs) Indeed. Um, but yeah, as well as they've got all the top KBO players in their team. But as well as that, they've actually got a couple of major leaguers to help them out. They've got Kim ha from the San Diego Padres and Tommy Edmund from the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, both of those players actually were still playing for the major league. So they missed the training camp in Arizona. So today's match was actually the first chance for career fans to see them in action. Yes, it's concerning
3: that they lost the first practice game, but I guess that's what practice games are for. Hopefully they will work out their kinks before the first game against Australia. That's this Thursday, noon, Korea time. Okay, let's continue on now to golf, where Ko Jin-young got her first LPGA Tour win in almost a year at the weekend, winning the HSBC Women's Championship in Singapore. Can you tell us more?
7: Right, almost a year to the day. I think there's one day less than a year. Mm. Uh, So Ko Jin-young got her win at the weekend on the same course as her last win in 2002. And it actually makes her the first female golfer to record back-to-back wins in Singapore. Uh, It's also her 14th LPGA Tour win of her career. And it bumps her back up to second in the world rankings. So that's great for her. She's been struggling a bit this year with um, a wrist injury and... Yeah, that's maybe why she hasn't won a tournament for a year until this one. Mm. She started this one a little bit slowly as well Uh, over in Sentosa. She got 72 shots for her first round, of course, on day one. Uh, But then in days two and three, she really clicked into gears. She got 65 on both of those days, Mm. which gave her a two-shot lead going into the final day. Uh, On that day, she got 69 to give her a final score of 17 under par, which was two shots better than second place Nelly Corder. Kind of actually, burst into tears after the win, and she told the BBC: "Before this week, I worked really hard. I knew I was defending, so I wanted to get one more trophy. It paid off, and I'm really happy." Uh, fellow South Korean golfer Kim Hyo Ju was also done quite well. She came eighth with a score of 11 under par in Singapore. Shifting our focus now to football, we
3: reported last week that the KFA appointed Jurgen Klinsmann to be next head coach of the Korean national team on a contract that runs until after the 2026
7: world cup so what's the latest news about klinsman right there's been lots of uh, kind of comments and stuff in the media but we haven't, actually haven't heard from klinsman himself yet mm. uh, that's going to change this week because he arrives in korea on wednesday and he's going to have a press conference there so i mean his his hiring is actually it's kind of split opinion quite a lot uh, in korea Um, If you know his history, he coached uh, the German national team from 2004 to 2006, and USA from 2011 to 2016. But since 2016, he's actually only coached 10 games since then during a short spell at Hertha Berlin. Uh, So there's a lot of questions about his lack of coaching recently. Mm. His general style, he seems to like to change the football culture. He's done that a bit both in Germany and in the USA. In Germany, he brought in sports psychologists, uh, motivational speakers, and he likes to he'll he'll be happy to drop big name players like uh, Oliver Kahn for Germany or Landon Donovan for the USA if they don't fit what he wants to do so there's going to be a lot of interest about who he's going to pick for the national team I think there's going to be some questions about that in a press conference Mm. and fans are also going to be excited to see uh, who his assistant coaches are going to be there's a lot of rumours about Chadoree possibly being one of those they both actually served on FIFA's technical study group in Qatar so they know each other very well Steve, as a football expert, just a couple of sentences on what you
3: think of the appointment, because as you said, uh, opinion has been split and there's certainly a lot of fans in Korea who are worried at the moment.
7: Yeah, it actually really surprised me. Uh, I thought for several reasons it wouldn't be Klinsman. Uh, I know in the past he had very high wage demands. I think that could have been part of the reason that. And he also has a big team that he wants to bring in with him, so that altogether makes him quite an expensive appointment, or at least it did in the past. Maybe that's why he hasn't had a job uh, or just had that one job since 2016. Uh, so I think that was kind of part of the reason I didn't think he would come to Korea. Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise to hear his name. Uh, of course, he's actually, for the national teams, done quite well, but um, because he kind of likes to ruffle a few feathers, the press in those countries in both Germany and the USA kind of got on his back a lot. Um, A lot of people in the USA blame him for failing to qualify for the World Cup. But to be honest, I don't think that was really his fault. Uh, I'm going to blame Bruce Arena for that because Klinsman was only in charge for two games in that qualifying uh, group. Uh, So I think maybe it's not as bad as a lot of people are making out. But when you haven't had a job for six years, uh, there's a lot of question marks still.
3: Yes, I guess we'll see. Klinsman will get a chance to prove himself soon as South Korea have two friendlies lined up later this month against Colombia and Uruguay. One player who will be hoping to be in his plans is Hwang In-bum, who scored for Olympiacos this weekend, Steve.
7: Yeah, that was his second goal of uh, the season for Olympiacos. Uh, it was in a comfortable 6-0 win against APO Leverdeokos. And... It was, a, it was a great goal if you if you've seen seen it. So it was a fantastic volley from the edge of the area uh, just before half time to give Olympiacos a two 0 lead. Uh, the cross came in from the corner and he was kind of on the far post on the edge of the area and hit it on the volley into the far corner. It was a really difficult technique to get right and could see by the teammates' celebrations how much they knew it was a difficult goal to score. Mm. He's actually got uh, three goals and four assists now for the Greek side who started the season really poorly. Uh, Of course, Hwangi Jo was there as well at that time. Um, But now they're on a great run. They've lost just once in the last 23 games. There's also kind of rumours that Hwangi Bomb could end up at Glasgow Rangers uh, this summer. There's been uh, their scouts watching him and so that's quite interesting because he could then face his compatriot uh, Oh Hyung Gu. Oh Hyung Gu actually scored his first goal for Celtic, well his first league goal for Celtic this weekend. Uh, he won a penalty for Celtic in that match against St Mirren and took the spot kick himself right near the end of the game to give Celtic their fifth goal in a 5-1 win so it's right at the end of the game. He's actually scored twice now and both of those goals came against St Mirren.
3: Yes, two Koreans on either side of the uh, old firm match will be certainly interesting to watch. We will wrap it up there, Steve. Thank you for that roundup. I believe uh, we'll be seeing you again next week. Uh, We'll see you then and take care in the meantime.
7: Yep, take care.
2: Did you enjoy this segment? You can discover more segments like this throughout the week on Korea24. On Monday, we bring you news from the world of sports around the peninsula. Then on Tuesday, notable guests from various fields join us and give us insight into their lives and work. Are you a fan of books? Then tune in on Wednesday for Korea Book Club where our book critic helps us unpack works by Korean authors or written on Korea. Go on an adventure with us every Thursday as we take a look at Korea's hidden gems with Explore Korea. And on Friday, listen to what our film critics have to say about the latest movie releases from both home and abroad. We have all that you need, all in one place, on Korea 24.
3: We finish up now with our final segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features and reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers. And for that, our staff editor Richard Larkin is here in the studio with us. Richard, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, I hope you had a nice weekend. Yes, I hope you did too. Okay, so I believe today we only have one story. Yes. So what do you have for us? So on Morning Edition Preview, I
4: often talk about interesting stories that relate to artefacts or events from the Joseon dynasty. Mm. But today I'll be talking about more recent history. That's because the National Museum of Korean Contemporary History and KBS have released over 330 videos about important events in Korea. The events in the videos are from the early 1900s to the
3: 1980s. All the details can be found in Kim
4: Hyun's article in the
3: culture section of the Korea Herald. So from the 1900s all the way to the 1980s. Yes. So there's a very significant <laughs> por- portion of uh, Korea's modern history and uh, some of the most tumultuous uh, periods of right. Korean history as well. Can you tell us more about these videos
4: then? Sure. The article mentions that KBS converted the clips into high-resolution formats, and the museum categorised and labelled each recording. To help viewers get a better understanding of what is going on, experts provided commentary to explain the context in detail. If you try to watch all the videos in the collection, it will take you more than 40 hours. (laughs) So
3: there is a lot to see. Okay, so it sounds like an invaluable... Uh, record of uh, South Korea's history. Uh, what sort of events can the viewer see? Well, as you mentioned, a
4: lot of difficult periods in Korea's recent history. For example, Japan's colonial rule up until 1945. The footage shows independence activists working abroad and Korean forced laborers during World War II. According to the article, other, in, other highlights include the Korean Olympic ice skaters practicing at Gyeongbok Palace in 1947. Mm and the ceremony for the establishment of the government of the Republic of Korea in 1948. I mentioned that 330 videos have been revealed, but that is not all. By the end of the year, the museum will look at uploading a total of 800 videos. There is one confusing thing that I f- should mention though.
3: Okay, and what's that?
4: So I went onto the museum's website earlier to take a look at some of the videos. When I first went onto the site, I had a hard time finding the footage. I realised that if you go on the English version of the site, the collection doesn't
3: show up. Right. But if you go to the Korean version, it's all there. Okay. So do be warned for any listeners who are interested in this collection that you have to go to the Korean version uh, to see it. Hopefully they will make it available on the English version of the website as well, because I think uh, international audiences will be interested to check it out as well. It definitely looks interesting, yes. OK, we'll wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And we wrap up our show there. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back same time tomorrow, so do join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye.